from the studios of Adventist World Radio in Pune. Hello and a very warm welcome to our international English service. In our program today, we bring inspiring music and interesting nature study. With more music coming in, we shall end our program with a message from God's Word. This is your host Sharad and I am Maureen and you are listening to Adventist World Radio, The Voice of Hope. Let's begin our program with a song.
To know more on God's Word, you could also write to us. Here's our mailing address. Adventist World Radio, Post Box Number 17, Pune 411001, Maharashtra, India. You could also email us on AdventistMediaCenter at gmail.com. You may also follow our programs on our website awr.org slash English program. Before you hear God's word, here's another song. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he changed my life completely He did something that no other friend could do No from me Oh, how much He cared for me Every day He comes to me
time to hear God's word. Good day listeners. Today's title is Hope for the World. Yes, who doesn't want a beautiful world to live in? The whole world is waiting for something to happen. And today we're going to see through the life of Isaiah of what he was preaching to the Israelites and what he was expecting them to hope for. The text is found in Isaiah 44, verses 4 and 5. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand the Lord's and will take the name of Israel. What beautiful verses where people have accepted the Lord as their own or rather they say that we belong to the Lord. Now it is a cruel act of fate that some of the best and brightest are called to live in the darkest of times. Yet, it is darkness that makes one appreciate light. As dark times go, the period in which Isaiah prophesied was one of the darkest in the history of Judah. Isaiah's ministry was preceded by the sad events of the demise of Uzziah, a faithful follower of God for most of his 52-year reign, whom God afflicted with leprosy because he presumed to minister in the holy sanctuary, an honor which was reserved only for the priests. Uzziah was followed by his son Jotham, who did what was right in the sight of God. But in spite of these two largely positive reigns, Judah, we find, continued to decline, as did Israel in the north. Neither Uzziah nor Jotham destroyed the evil shrines worshipped by the people in high places. For instance, we must keep in mind that Isaiah's message is twofold. His first concern is that the people be reconciled to God that they put away all known idolatry and sin. Second, Isaiah wants the people to catch the vision that so energized his life in Isaiah 6. He wanted to give the people hope during the difficult days of Assyrian threat by painting for them the picture of the coming Messiah, a picture so compelling that they would yearn for his appearing and live out their belief in him from day to day. You know, Franklin Roosevelt, his closest advisor during much of his presidency was a man named Harry Hopkins. During World War II, when his influence with Roosevelt was at its peak, Hopkins held no official cabinet position. Moreover, Hopkins' closeness to Roosevelt caused many to regard him as a shadowy, sinister figure. As a result, he was a major political liability to the president. 
a political foe, once asked Roosevelt, Why do you keep Hopkins so close to you? You surely realize that people distrust him and they resent his influence. Roosevelt replied, Someday you may well be sitting here where I am now as President of the United States. And when you are, you will be looking at that door over there and knowing that practically everybody who walks through it wants something out of you. You learn what a lonely job this is and you'll discover the need of somebody like Harry Hopkins who asks for nothing except to serve you. Winston Churchill rated Hopkins as one of the half dozen most powerful men in the world in the early 1940s and the sole source of Hopkins' power was his willingness to serve. This I have taken from the Discipleship Journal, Issue 39, 1987, page 5. Now the people who simply have our best interest at heart are difficult to find. We have just such a person in Jesus. God knew that the world would need an example. It would need an example of godliness, someone truly dedicated to bringing about humanity's best good. Isaiah goes to great pains to describe Jesus in Isaiah 11. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. These we read in verses 3 and 4. In a very real sense, these traits should have been on display in the lives of God's people in Judah and in Israel. To please God and to give the world a picture of who he is. They were not, but there was a reason to hope, Jesus. Now, what do we find in Isaiah? Number one, we find that God's eyes are even on the heathen. You know, sometimes we feel that we are the only ones who God looks upon. Listen to this. Though Israel did not understand how much God cared for the heathen, a careful survey of God's promise to Abraham would have brought it to their attention. Genesis 12, 2 and 3 says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Instead of focusing on the fact that they were blessed in order to be a blessing, Israel basked in their own divine favor. They should have been sharing it, but no, they kept it to themselves. Now, with the second point we see is that Isaiah worked in the most turbulent times. It can be argued 
that Isaiah prophesied during some of the most tumultuous times in Judah's history. God was angry at his people's apostasy. Stop bringing meaningless offerings, he said. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations. These I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Isaiah 1.13 More than that, however, Judah was under mortal threat from Sennacherib and the powerful Assyrians who were in 722 BC. By this time, they had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. This conquest scared King Hezekiah so much that he stripped the temple of all its treasures and sent them to the Assyrian king in hope of appeasing him. This we find in 2 Kings 18 verses 13 through 16. But it did not work. When all hope failed, Hezekiah sought out Isaiah for a word from the Lord. This we find in 2 Kings 19, 1 through 7. It was against this backdrop that Isaiah called Jerusalem to repentance and encouraged Hezekiah to resist Assyria by exercising faith and trust in God. Yes, my friends, Isaiah worked in the most turbulent times. Then we find that God not only anoints and calls people from the lower strata, he even calls aristocrats. We find that unlike most biblical prophets, Isaiah was not born into poverty. He did no menial work. He was the son of Amoz, a nobleman, who many scholars believe had distant royal lineage. Isaiah, of all the Bible's prophets, had unparalleled access to the halls of power. He prophesied under kings Uzziah and Jotham, advised King Ahaz, though we find that Ahaz failed to heed his counsel. And later we find that Isaiah warned Hezekiah of the foreign entanglements with Egypt against Assyria. For this reason, he is considered the most political prophet in all of Scripture. Isaiah's ministry shows us that God is willing to use those with influence and status as well as those with none. All God requires is a willing heart. The fourth point we see is he is a prophet of redemption. Isaiah's prophecies helped to guide Judah during turbulent times. But this was by no means the focus of his prophetic ministry. Fueled by his vision of God in Isaiah 6 and the transformation that he himself experienced by being forgiven and redeemed, Isaiah's prophetic message is the most spiritually complete of all Old Testament prophets. He spoke of God's judgment of sin, but pointed to a day when the Messiah would come, a fair king, an honest king, a compassionate king, a sacrificing king, a loving king. 
This we see in Isaiah chapter 11, who would not only deliver them from their physical enemies, but from sin itself. This promise of redemption is echoed throughout Isaiah's book. You know, the inhabitants of Judah were all undeserving, yet God would not give them up. By them, his name was to be exalted among the heathen. Many who were wholly unacquainted with his attributes were yet to behold the glory of the divine character. It was for the purpose of making plain his merciful designs that he kept sending his servants, the prophets, with the message, Turn ye again now, every one, from this evil way. We find this in Jeremiah 25, 5. You know, God in his love and mercy never abandons his children. He never abandons his children to suffer hopelessly. Long after Israel's apostasy and idol worship had worn out God's patience, he still kept on extending offers of forgiveness and redemption. God loved his people dearly and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. If he was to bless the nations of the earth through Abraham's seed, he would have to redeem Israel. And this God did through the blood of his son Jesus, to whom Isaiah pointed. Through Jesus, God offered redemption to not only his people, but peoples everywhere. What Israel had failed to do, and that was to set an example of godliness for the world, God did through Jesus. All who believe in him take their place as Abraham's heirs and find their purpose in God's divine plan to bless fallen humanity. This high calling should be the joy of every Christian heart. Sister White writes in Acts of the Apostle, pages 1-9 and 1-10, The members of God's church are to be zealous of good works, separating from worldly ambition and walking in the footsteps of him who went about doing good. With hearts filled with sympathy and compassion, they are to minister to those in need of help, bringing to sinners a knowledge of the Savior's love. Yes, my friends, it is up to you and me to bring the message of hope to the world out there. They want something. It is us who can carry this to them. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for seeing us worthy to be partakers of this great work. Bless us, dear God, so that our hearts are filled with sympathy and compassion, so that we can minister to those who are really in need of help. Help us so that through our ministry, a non-believer can come and have a knowledge of the Savior's love. Thank you, dear God, for being with us and giving us the courage to accept your call. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.
The Holy Scriptures says, Your world is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalms 119 verse 105 Indeed, my dear listener, what a treasure we have in God's word. The Holy Bible is relevant to today's issues and gives solid guidance for daily living. With this, we have almost come to the end of our program. To learn more on God's Word, we would love to receive your letters on Adventist World Radio, Post Box Number 17, Pune 411-001, Maharashtra, India. You could also email us on Adventist Media Center at gmail.com. We invite you to follow our programs also on our website. That's AWR dot org slash english program this is your host sharad and i'm maureen signing off from adventist world radio do join us again along with your family and friends until we meet again via radio we wish you goodbye and god bless you